Amen. Okay, grab your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah chapter six, we'll pick it up in verse one. I was sharing with the pastors earlier today, you know, anytime we're on the cusp of a big decision, it, um, it, humble, it always humbles, it serves to humble me greatly. Um, that's, a, that's a nice way of saying it scares the tar out of me. <laughs> uh, I remember when I got married, uh, seeing Cheryl come down the aisle and, uh, and the cry of my heart was, oh God, don't let me screw this up. I don't wanna, I don't wanna, I don't wanna ruin her life. Help me to be a good husband. And then we brought Sophie home from the hospital. And if I thought I was scared at the wedding altar, bringing my daughter into the, all the, driving home with this baby in the back seat was surreal to me. And then bringing that baby into the house and, and uh, just the fervent prayer, oh God, I need you. Don't let me screw this kid's life up. And it was that same, just repeat, all three kids, bring the kid home. And Lord, this kid's eternity, I, I'm gonna have a big part in how that plays out for this kid. Are they, gonna, are they gonna know you? Are they gonna love you? Are they gonna have a heart for you? I, can, I, I could ruin this. Uh, I, could, I could be a disaster for their relationship with you. Oh God, please. And then they've gotta eat. God bless my work. work, bless the work of my hands. I need to keep a roof over their head. I need to feed them and it just terrify me. God, I need you. Help me to be a good husband. Help me to be a good father. I, I don't care if my kids are rich, but I don't want them to ever have to worry for anything that they legitimately need. I wanna be a good provider. Lord, please work through me. And then uh, starting MBT and, and, and people are, well, the, even before that, whenever I first started in the pastorate and, and uh, young, young adults are calling me pastor, I, I can't tell you how that terrified me. Oh God, help. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna stand in the pulpit every week and, and say, thus saith the Lord. I don't ever want to misrepresent you. I don't ever want to say anything that you have not said. Lord, I just, I, I don't want to substitute for your word my opinions, uh, my, my good ideas. I, Lord, I only want them to know you and to hear from you. Help me, Lord, please, you have to help me because I don't want to be responsible for people suffering loss and seeing terror in their life at the judgment seat of Christ. Lord, you you have to help me. And then we start MBT and, and um, you know, very quickly, the, you know, once everything's in motion and we're here and, and, then, and then the thing that we keep finding out is nothing ever works at 40th and 1. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I mean, now people are calling MBT church home and God accept you. Build the house, it's all vain labor. I, I can't tell you how many times because I recognized I am not sufficient for anything. I don't trust in my ability to do anything where other people's life and eternity is on the line. 
but I can be available. And oh God, I've read 1 Corinthians chapter one. It's too late, I can't unsee that. I know it pleases you to take and use the foolish things of this world to bring great glory to your name. Lord, you can use me. I know that, I know that you can use me. Lord, if you can do anything, you can use me. Oh God, please use me. Lord, please, you have to use me. Um, because I don't want to be, I don't ever want to be guilty of being the thing that the enemy uses to destroy anybody's life. This is why I'm just so, t- I tremble to just make sure I'm saying what the book says. And anytime I'm speculating about what it might be saying, I just want to be upfront with that. Uh, it's so critical that we know God and that we know him through his word. Amen? This is critical. Then we hire another pastor, right? We hire a staff member. There's, now there are people whose salaries and they've got families and they're dependent. Like if the church, again, catastrophe can happen to America and we could find ourselves all looking for other jobs and things like that, but, but at the end of the day, if the church is saying we're moving forward and we need help on this level and now you've got, you've got people and families dependent upon, right, they're counting on a salary from, like, every time we've hired someone, anyone, I'm like, oh God, (laughs) help us. Uh, The worst thing to me would be to have to go to somebody and say, "Uh, we made a mistake hiring you, we can't afford it. Uh, We didn't count the costs. So the idea of spending whatever it's gonna be north of a million dollars across the street Brothers and sisters, that gets my attention, okay? Uh, Whatever step that we take in ministry, we can't take it in a cavalier way, can we? Not when eternity is hanging in the balance. You You know how many churches get stupid because they're, I mean, they get the building that they want, they get the space that they want, they get the, whatever the resource is, they get what they want, and then they end up just dumber than the day is long. How's that happen? You go from dependence to, to, I mean, really, it's just presumption. It's such a short trip from, oh God, except you move. There's no hope, oh God, except you build a house, it's vain labor, oh God, except you be glorified in the midst of your people. Uh, We are making a mess. What can I do in my intellect, by the work of my hand, by my ability, by my strength, by my power, by my wisdom? Nothing. It's all vain labor. With men, it's impossible. Everything that God calls us to, to see souls saved, disciples made, to see the Great Commission thriving, that's all beyond our ability. You can't give anybody eternal security. You can't conform anyone to the image of Christ. Everything that God calls us to do, we can't actually, in and of ourselves, accomplish any of it. It's a supernatural work that God's calling us to. Is this making sense? What God calls us to, we can't do, but he can work through us, and then we see souls saved and disciples made, and people mature in their faith and be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's amazing. Like, I got to be a part of that in someone's life. You get to be a part of that in someone's life. But the minute we go, man, God, look at what you've done at MBT. What else could you have done but bless us? We're pretty smart, we're pretty sharp. We've got good doctrine. (laughs) And then we just presume on the Lord. 
oh God, of course, of course you're gonna bless, of course you're gonna provide, of course you're gonna, and God, do, God does bless and he does provide and God, is God doing a work at 40th and Walnut or what? I mean, God is at work, amen? I mean, you're here, praise the Lord, man, that's amazing. There's a danger of being presumptive where we just assume we do right things, we get right results, or because, because we have always just fill in the blank, whatever it is, we'll always have fill in the blank, whatever it is, we can never come to the place where we're not a dependent people, where we're not always recognizing our need for personal revival. If Christ is our life, according to Colossians, if he is the all in all, okay, if Christ is our life, then we desperately need him. Uh, It's in him that we live and move and have our being, the Bible says. So we can't be presumptive. Christ is our life. It's in him that we live and move and have our being. So I don't want what my works can produce. I want what God working through me can produce, amen? And that's what you want as a, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother, as a discipler, as a disciple, as a Bible study leader. You want what God, what only God can do in and through you. If you work as hard as you can and do the best you know how, you'll get the best that you can produce, which is lame. I don't want the best that I can produce. I want what God, what God wants to do in and through my life. Amen? This is so critical. And so... So, but this is what happens, um, and I've, I've made this statement a number of times over the years, and if I'm smart, I'll keep making this statement. What happens is, is there's a cycle. God's people recognize their need. It drives them into a place of dependence, many times desperation. They call on the Lord, they count on the Lord, they get full of faith because except God move, <laughs> right? Except God move, with God all things are possible, and then God, man, according to your faith, be it unto you, God moves, and there's blessing, there's fruit, you, you, you recognize there's no life outside of Christ, you abide in the vine, and man, look at all the fruit, look at the blessings, look at how God's moving, look at what God, and then you'd start taking that for granted, and then what happens is, is you say, okay, God, I got it from here, I'm pretty awesome. I think you and I both know that. <laughs> I'll take it from here. And in a moment, in our presumption, in a moment, God can just let us get whatever we have coming to us. You know God could bring you to nothing in a moment. You know, Job probably thought he was set like Chet until he was all alone, setting in ashes in his sores. In a moment, right, it can come to nothing. Abide in the vine. We, we must bear fruit. So I can't be presumptive. Lord, I need you every day. Oh, I need thee, Lord, I need thee. Every day, every hour, I need thee. <clears throat> what happens is we get blessed and then we get presumptive and we forget our desperate need. It's because, and I believe this with all of my heart, it's because we don't see God for who he is. So check out Isaiah chapter six, verse one. What I want to submit to you is revival in our life will be regular. It will be continual if we'll just draw an eye to God, if we'll just see him for who he is. In Isaiah's case, verse one, it's the year that King Uzziah died. 
Look what he said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. Describes the seraphims. Look at what they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then Isaiah pooped his pants. What would you do? God shows up, building <laughs> shaken. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of, an unclean, uh, uh, midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Remember Peter? Been fishing all night. <laughs> you want me to cast again? Just do it, Peter. <laughs> One more time. And then it fills the boats. There's a, Remember Peter's response? Just seeing Christ for who he was in, in, in just the fruit of some fish, a catch of fish? What does he say? Depart from me, right? Lord, what a, I see you for who you are, now I see me for what I am. I'm such a sinner. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Job, after much affliction, you know, he's raising his complaint. And God shows up. And look at Job's response, Job 42, verse five. Well, listen, you don't have to turn. Job's response is, mine eye hath seen, right? My eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter one, saw the Lord. He saw him, the appearance of fire round about from within him. He saw him for who he was. He saw the glory of the Lord and he says in Ezekiel 1 verse 28, and when I saw it, I fell upon my face. John said the same thing in Revelation chapter one. He sees Christ for who he is. His countenance is as the sun shineth in his strength. Verse 17, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Isaiah, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Job, mine eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Ezekiel, I saw it and I fell on my face. John, I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. So I don't want you to miss the picture. I don't want you to miss what we're seeing in common in these cases. God's presence before his people puts his people on their faces. And I think many times the reason we're not on our face before God is because we don't actually recognize him for who he is. We don't see him for who he is. And so we treat God like he's our buddy. Uh, We tell him what we need, what we want, like he's there only to serve us. We're actually matter of fact and perfunctory. Lord, what we need, Lord, I need God. We, We might throw in a please from time to time, but it's Lord, it's almost like we boss God around. Some of God's children treat 
strangers better than they treat the Lord. They're more polite and respectful of strangers than they are just in their communication to the living God. It's because we don't see him for who he is. If we see God for who he is, I think it puts us on our face. I mean, what happened at Mount Carmel? When Israel saw God for who he is, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. it, it, it put them in a place and an attitude of worship. Spurgeon said, if a church be near, right, to God, if God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be slothfulness and prayer. And what's true of a church is true in God's people. I know for me, that has always been my battle. Uh, there's, you know, this is why I keep telling you, because I'm exhibit A. Oh God, except you move. <laughs> we labor in vain. God's like, I'm moving, man, go, here's some fruit. And then it's all we can do to keep up with the fruit, and pretty soon, you know, it's all Martha, Martha, Martha time, Martha work, Martha busyness, and, and you forget Mary's got the better part at, at Jesus' feet. Well, I, don't, I don't have enough time at Jesus' feet. How, this, this can't be undone. Man, keep the better part, right? We get blessed and then our blessings make us stupid. So here's the picture. You know, John saw him as the sun shineth in his strength. The sun is an antiseptic, isn't it? It's an antibacterial agent. It's a, it's a cleansing agent. Um, God's presence purifies. Ezekiel saw him as a fire enfolding, as the appearance of fire. Isaiah saw him right, setting on his throne, the smoke fills the temple. Hebrews 12, 29 says that our God is a consuming fire. Okay, I don't know about you, but I respect fire. Fire isn't my buddy, I don't snuggle up with fire. Uh, fire can ruin me, can it? Fire can kill me, I have a, now I need fire. That's the only way my family makes it through the winter is I desperately have to have fire. Uh, but I, uh, man, I mean, because of the respect for fire, there's a place for the fire, isn't there? So that's the question tonight. Do you see God with a holy fear? Do you see him as a consuming fire and at the same time as your all in all? Do you see him as your very life? But even as your savior, as the lover of your soul, do you recognize he's the maker of hell? And ultimately, he will be the destroyer of heaven and earth and he's someone who does not wink at sin. The command in scripture is draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And if we could see God for who he is, it would force us to keep our accounts short with God. It would force us to be cleansed in our hearts, to be careful followers of God. In 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, this is what God says about his people. He says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, there's the drawing nigh to God, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and here's the repentance part, and turn from their wicked ways. I don't wanna be presumptive anymore. God's just winking at my life. God's okay with me. I'm doing pretty good. Well, I'm doing better than brother, sister, so-and-so. No, my God is a consuming fire. He's worthy. He's worthy of my life. He's worthy. He's worth being right with. Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. Our sins were forgiven 2,000 years ago at Calvary. 
Um, we know our cross-references. We know what the Bible says about this. But don't miss the principle. If I regard iniquity in my heart, God says, talk to the hand. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not hearing that. When, when God's people see him for who he is and then humble themselves, Lord, I need you. I don't wanna be presumptive. I don't wanna just assume that everything's okay because today's running just like yesterday and so now I have it, I've got control. I, I, I can handle this okay. No, Lord, except you build the house, everything I do today is wasted. God, I need, I, I need you guiding my steps. I need you, I, need you, I need you to take that coal and touch my lips. I want my words to glorify you. God, you are my life. Christ is my all in all. It's in him that I live and move and have my being, so I don't wanna be presumptive. No, for me to live is Christ. Isaiah 6, verse 9, or verse 6, the seraphim, you know, Isaiah, woe is me, I'm unclean. (laughs) So he takes the coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. He laid it upon my mouth and said, lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. All Isaiah did was just confess his condition before the Lord. He just, he just expressed his need. God took care of the rest. And when God's people do that, they see him for who he is, they humble themselves, right? They agree with God over their condition and their need. Well, then they're outfitted to be productive in God's work. In verses eight and nine, you see a, a type or a picture of the Great Commission. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. And he said, and go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, see ye indeed, but perceive not. Anytime God's people stop being presumptive and they draw an eye to God, right? They humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. God always sends them with a message. Have you noticed that in your Bible? That always happens. In Ezekiel, in chapter two, verse three, he sent to Israel in their rebellion. Isaiah, the same thing here. John, he sent. He falls at Jesus' feet as dead, but he's sent with a message to seven churches. And the same thing's true for you and I. If we see God for who he is and in all his righteous holiness, we humble ourselves, we repent, right? We agree with God over any sin in our life. Well, he's gonna send us to Midtown. He's gonna send us to the Metro. He's gonna send us to Missouri and Kansas. He's gonna send us to Boston. He's gonna send us to to Florida. He's gonna send us to Vietnam. He's gonna send us to Nairobi, to Dallas, to Denver, to Tucson. I mean, that's just what God does. A lot of times we're hindered in our prayers. And you'll notice this in your own heart. Sometimes you talk at, have you ever noticed that? You'll talk at God, say words at God, instead of in humility and trembling, talk to the living God. A lot of times we talk at God because we don't think he's really listening. Uh, And and there is some of that. Um, You know, people wrestle with faith. But I think most of the time in the Laodicean age, it's because uh, we don't really see God for who he is. Uh, we, we view him small instead of viewing ourselves small. 
Spurgeon again, he said, God's people seldom get a blessing in the conversion of souls till their prayer turns into a cry mingled with weeping. When was the last time you needed God? Whatever, so like, I can't give anybody eternal life, right? If I'm gonna lead somebody to Christ, God has to work through me. When, when was the last time that you needed to see God move, for God to do what only God can do, and it put you in a place where you were not presumptive, it put you in a place of desperate dependence on the Lord? When was the last time you sought the Lord with strong crying and tears? Psalms 126 says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth in weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We're out of time, but I'd like us to end with a season of prayer. Is this making sense, brothers and sisters? We need the Lord. God has blessed us. God is blessing us. I, I, I'm trusting the Lord that he will continue to bless us, but I'm not gonna be presumptive. Every hour, Lord, every hour I need thee. Amen? We need the Lord. We need God to do what only God can do in and through us. And if you're sitting there saying, okay, I see that, I agree with all of that, but I, I don't have that emotion in prayer. There's, not, there's no tears in me. Uh, would you just be willing to surrender your life to the Lord and say, God, would you, here, here's my heart, right? Lord, as best I know how, I'm gonna give myself over these next days, these next weeks, these next month to drawing near to you. Lord, I wanna see you for who you are. Lord, help me whenever I get into your word. I wanna hear your voice. I wanna see what you're saying. Lord, I wanna see you for who you are. Lord, would you reveal yourself to me through your word? I wanna know you. I wanna know your will. I wanna know your word over my life. I wanna see you for who you are. Lord, show me who I am. I wanna see myself. I wanna see my need for what it is. Would you just be willing to surrender to the Lord and trust him to do a work that only he can do in you. Does that make sense? Uh, let's close in prayer. Uh, you can pray with someone. You can, you're welcome to pray with whoever's next to you, but you're also just welcome to just close in prayer, just you and the Lord. Amen? I love you guys. God bless you. Let's pray and then we'll dismiss.